Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're showing you how we build a campaign from level 1 to level 20. We know that your campaign will be different than ours, but listen to how we use the idea of dynamic encounters to add unique scenarios to our sessions. We're designing encounters for a generic party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman. And they're all very low level. They've just accompanied their guild leaders to a familiar town and are waiting instructions on what to do next amidst a number of rumors about the religious upheaval in the region. This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTubes, and many other podcast apps, so don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes at www.itsamimic.com, and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. That's enough shameless promotion for now. Let's get to building. Daniel, my friend, it is terror and trauma all across the land, and no one has heard anything from the capital city since the gods went missing. And not a single traveler has returned from that direction either. And while the guild leaders talk with the local authorities, the party has been asked to head to the nearby oasis farms, check in with the farmers, and re-establish trade while keeping an ear out for news. So that's the scenario that we're dealing with now. Okay, we don't need to know what the quest given was. We don't need to know what the, the rumors are. You will come up with your own rumors and your own campaigns. But what we're doing is we're heading to the farmland, right? We're heading to rural adventures. For us, because we're in a desert, that keeps us kind of limited. So we've got a series of small oases. Oases? Did I say it? Oasis? Oasises. Oasises? Wonder Walls. Champagne Supernovae. Supernovas? Yeah. Supernovies. Regardless, people are fucking in the bushes. <laughs> So, anyway, we're heading out to the farmland, and we got to take a look at what exactly that means for play, how this is different than our urban setting, because it's it's kind of urban. I mean, there's buildings and stuff, there's roads and stuff, but the buildings aren't quite so close together, and the roads are quite a bit longer, um, and there's not as many people on them as we're probably used to at this point. So, here we are, out in the farmland. Dan, do you play a lot of D&D out in the farms? Like, I mean, let's be honest, in medieval society, the majority of the landscape was farmland. All the way around every castle, keep, or fort, right? Or just or just open wilderness. But yeah, you're not wrong. Um, Funny enough, yes. I don't think that was the answer you were expecting. But yes, I do hit quite a lot of farmland. Whenever I'm going to a major town I or I'm putting my party on the direction on, on an arrow's shot to a main town, they will pass through some farmland. Um, I usually start most campaigns in some sort of, uh, in some sort of farm, um, or, or agriculture or, or something like some rural environment. That is where I usually start most of my campaigns because there's, there's a lot of like cute little homey, comfort that i find in in the rural setting so I, I i go there quite a lot see i always start on roadside taverns and i mean like the long highway between point a and point b where there's just a waypoint a stop a station a small fort mm -hmm. that relies upon trade or travelers moving through so there may be vegetable gardens there may be that single plot of land out back where they you know keep their cows or goats or whatever but I very rarely spend time in farms. And I think it's one of those things that dungeon masters are either very aware of or they forget about altogether. Well, I mean, you gotta, if you're ever trying to build a real world with real steak that is living and breathing and moving along, you gotta answer questions like, where are they getting their food from? And when you are talking about geography, like we've mentioned already that this is a desert that we're putting our campaign in. You're not having wide open fields of lush green farmland in the middle of the friggin' desert. You might around a uh, oasis for some stretch of space, but like it's going to look different based on our geography. And it's something we have to think about when we're planning these real world campaigns. Okay, so when we're talking about farms and whatnot, I, I don't really deal with them. As a matter of fact, I tend to avoid farmland as a general rule because... I know very little about farming myself. I know that you're mm -hmm. from the great Canadian prairies, but, um, yeah, I, I, I spent, I've spent quite a lot of time on the farm and, and I, I married a woman whose grandparents own a farm and we go there as often as we can. And I help with like the cattle and stuff like that. Like I've birthed calves, not personally, but like I've assisted the cows from birthing the calves. Like I've, I've done that kind of stuff. 
See, the, all that all that stuff is is really foreign to me. That because I'm a I'm a city boy, right? I like my wilderness, but I'm talking camping. I don't want any part of this like walking through the cornfield and checking the crops. That's not an an Adam thing as a general rule. So, I know that there are a lot of people out there that are aware of of farmland and uh, and farming and kind of what there is out there. See, it's entirely too much sky for me. I find it oppressive. I can feel the weight of the sky in the prairies. It drives me crazy. I, I, it's honestly a thing that bothers me. I'm used to mountain ranges on the horizon, so all of my stuff has mountain ranges. Yeah, I, I feel claustrophobic in a city most of the time, so I, I have the inverse of that. Which is fantastic for this episode. So tell me, I mean, I've got my ideas, and you can confirm or deny this, but let's talk about a couple of unique things about the rural setting. Now, we said before we hit record that we were just going to have a couple of ideas here, so do you want to roll initiative? Sure, let's do it. I got a 13. I got a 9. Oh, 13. Okay, I'm going to go first. First of all, it's not wild, but there are not necessarily people in the immediate vicinity, which means that you are isolated in a really unique way when you're dealing with farmland. Mm -hmm. You can yell at the top of your lungs and no one can hear you, and yet you can probably see structures on the horizon, and you're standing on roads with with wheel ruts, right? There's evidence of people. It feels almost post-apocalyptic to me in some ways. Especially when you're like coming across abandoned barns or half burned down structures that people have just not bothered to rebuild when they've got the opportunity to rebuild it somewhere else that might be a little bit better. Yeah. Is that like, am I right with that? I've driven through the prairies, but I mean, it's, it's just a whole lot of nothing. You can watch your dog run away for six days. I mean, the, the, the only addition to that, I would say is that yes, it is its own little form of isolation. It feels like there's not a lot of people, but the rural environment is deceptive in the fact that it may feel and appear like there are not a lot of people around you, but I guarantee if you were to yell out for help, someone would find you soon. It is one of those places where, um, and I'll even, I'll bleed this off into my answer for this is it is one of the most hospitable places in D&D. It's one of the most hospitable settings you could put your party through where, uh, People will bring in travelers off the road to make sure they get a meal. Hey, you could stay in the barn for the night and then you guys go on your way. Like that, that hospitality of the, the simple farm folk, um, is, is a point I drive home every single time I DM. And I, like, like I said, I love the, I love the rural setting. I also know, like, if, if you go driving out to farmland, uh, especially here in BC, where often that farmland is on like the side of a mountain. Uh, you'll see, you'll see a lot of, uh, like old fences in the middle of nowhere. Like you could be driving through the boonies and there's just this random fence in the middle of nowhere. I guarantee you there will be a farmer that is driving along there and will uh, check it out and take a look. So you may think you are in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around. People in the rural environments are so hell bent on maintaining what is there and their, what is theirs and their property and every square inch of land that they own is their lifeblood. It is the most precious thing to them beside, you know, their hands or their family. So when you have that, they notice when people are messing with their property line and they notice when things are happening within their property line. And you might not know you are within someone's property line because you just jumped over this rickety old fence quarter mile down the road. It feels open. It feels isolated, but it's really not. That would be my, my, one of the things that's unique about the rural setting. Okay, so I'm going to like leech into that. This is really, I'm glad we went in this order. This is fortuitous. But what I wanted to say was that you're getting unique themes out here. You're getting more of an idea of, um, of we have no one to rely on but ourselves because there are no big city amenities. There are radically different themes as a result of that. Like, for example, you're hitting a lot of the Western themes. Like, uh, these are the open plains. The, this is the idea of dealing with herds, dealing with a certain amount of lawlessness. You can't just call 911. There's not just a hospital around the corner. Yeah, most people take care of their own and take care of the things around their house on their own. Yeah. And the reason that people are so hospitable is because we get by on the kindness of the people that surround us because we have so little. And and that does, that's not to mean that, that people are poor. Okay. It's just, it means that they have little in the way of uh, additional manpower and resources and factions that are, that are right around the corner, right? Like there's no, you, you can't just walk down and hire an extra pair of hands. You've got to go into town and that may take a half a day. So now you're a day behind on your harvest. Being able to rely on your neighbor to step up or having someone come in 
and you give them a hot meal if they give you three hours of work in the morning, right? That That's a big deal. There's a lot of, I consider trade and bartering. There's a lot of taking the minor lawlessness into your own hands. I'm not talking murder, but I am talking things like, um, like these little property lines, these disputes between, you know, neighbors or whatnot. You sort that stuff out yourself. You don't wait for the sheriff to come over and help, right? So there's a weird sense of honor as well, right? There's a, there's a, your own code out in the rural areas. And we're talking very much Western culture right now, but I think that's true of, of the Eastern cultures as well. Like there is a specific code for European farmers that, that know each other or Chinese mm -hmm. farmers that know each other, right? And so really branch out in your own mind when you're putting together your rural setting is that you've got all sorts of different themes out here. Um, for for my my next one, the, my unique thing about the rural settings here, um, kind of associated with yours, but... Um, the power structure of the rural environment is uh, very unique and it could go one of two ways, I find, um, in any D&D game. And one of them is your standard people who crave the simple life. Um, and I just want to add this little caveat. Simple does not mean poor. Simple does not mean stupid. Simple means the politics, the bureaucracy of the big city life is just undesirable to a lot of people. If you listen to the main podcast, you know, like guys like me and guys like Dave, we like going out to the middle of nowhere because the, the, the noise of the city gets to us. And I wouldn't call either of us stupid. I wouldn't call either of us unaware of the political landscape of the world we live in, but we just crave that simple life. But it also could take the deliverance uh, side of things where it's, backwater and it's weirdly cult-like in its political structure where everyone answers to you know to to papa everyone answers to papa you got a question you got to go to papa i would say that's even more than that as well i mean if you've got a rural setting like this is a farming town or whatnot the preacher would would be someone you got to clear things with or like there are definitive yeah right town leaders and i don't mean just like the mayor but you know, the person that runs the general store, they've got a lot of sway in how things run around here. If you want to do this, you should go yeah. clear it with them first. And these communities are so interconnected. Anyone that has been in middle America or has been in a rural uh, suburban environment anywhere in the world will tell you that there's always information finds a way of traveling in these in these uh, areas incredibly quickly. So you may think you're doing something privately. But you're not. Someone has seen it. Someone is is going to share the news. Hey, did you hear what Jimmy's daughter did the other day? Who are these new folks in town? Everyone keep a lookout for them. It is not rare or unforeseen to me to go to a farm and they go, oh, yeah, no, we talked to our neighbors. We knew you were coming. We've already got a pie in the oven for you. Come on in. These are things that happen in a rural setting that will not happen in an urban setting. That see, that it seems so bizarre to me. I understand it, but it was that is not something that I myself would be automatically including in a scenario when I'm when I'm building a campaign like this. So I, I love that you're bringing this to the table. There are definitely some consistencies. I don't want to say stereotypes, okay? Not not necessarily, but there are some. <laughs> consistencies about the idea of rural or maybe even like village level of living can can i say this just to just to make terry happy because sure. i know terry will want to hear me say the word there are some tropes if you will <laughs> there are some tropes okay and i think that different people with different backgrounds different experiences are going to have different ideas of tropes for example myself I know what I've seen in the movies because I'm one of those big city folk. But I may not know what some of the other little tropes are. When I walk in, I may not know what the base etiquette is walking into a small a small farm or an isolated farm. Yeah. Um, for example, I have a question. Are farms closer to big cities inherently different than farms that are further away? 100% yes. In what way? I just want, like, now you've piqued my interest. This isn't even, like, we're going off script here. In what way? Can you sum it, can you sum it um, up in a couple sentences? <laughs> I could try. Uh, reliance on going to town versus reliance on stuff you have to do uh, yourself. So uh, a, a farm further from the city will often have a lot of older equipment that has been self-maintained by the farmer. And the farmer is a mechanic. He's a plumber. He's an electrician. He's everything. 
whereas a farm closer to the city could call on repairmen and things like that. So the farmer doesn't necessarily have to learn about that stuff. So they could focus more on farming. So their facilities tend to be a little bit cleaner, a little bit more uh, industrialized. If if you were to take then a, in a D&D setting, you build, let's say, a decent sized city, right? Something the size of, um, let's say, uh, Waterdeep or Baldur's Gate. Okay, so we got a decent size. There's a lot of traffic in and out. When you're designing your rural encounters, would you have for lack of a better term, rings outside the city where people become more and more self-reliant, like almost farming districts? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily put them as defined rings. Th- those borders would be very flexible and practically invisible. I, me as a DM would know, okay, you're getting, you're several miles out of actual town now. So the people here, they're going to be a little bit more self-reliant than than the people you've experienced, right? So you will have walked past that halfling wheat farm where it's got, you know, large beasts of burden and and a crew of gnome engineers who are just putting together these large harvesters and, and various things like that. And then you work your way further out and it's an ox pulling a plow and it's, it's uh, a little bit more medieval almost right like i if i was to have and i wouldn't have a clearly defined line with that i would just have the 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 further out of town you get the more self-reliant people are going to be and remember often with self-reliance comes a distrust of strangers because why do i need you if i haven't called you here why are you here but at the same time, with most rural communities, there is an underarching code of honor, like you mentioned before, Adam, where you bring in travelers and you feed and you take care of your other, in the D&D setting, intelligent humanoid. Okay, so let's take a look at a couple of tropes, okay, each of us, about something that can either be embraced or subverted, depending on what we want to do with it, all right? Okay. Let's roll initiative again. Ooh, a 14. <laughs> I got a 15. I can't believe I'm doing this to you, Dan. You bitch. All right, so the very first thing I wanted to say was superstition. Okay, so there are many different religions, many different gods and pantheons that are proven in the D&D world, but I think it's fairly common to say that the further out into the farmland you go, the more of a healthy, God-fearing community you end up in. Yeah, okay. But let's let's take that into um, extreme Dungeons and Dragons. I'm going to call it superstitions because there are things like fey creatures that are around and um, the Mind Flayer spaceship that crashed out behind the barn three generations ago. And my grandpappy swears to that, that he saw that, right? Like there, there are more things in the deep dark of night out in the farmland. Imaginations can run wild. So I don't mean the religious bend. I mean the superstitious bend. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that can be really fun to play with. And we see that kind of built in a little bit to the barbarian already, right? Who are out even wilder than rural farmlands, right? Because of the nomadic riders out on the plains or whatnot. But in the farmlands, I would say that there are definitely people that keep an eye on what color the, the moon is this week. You can expect to see a lot of hags on the, on the outskirts of, of rural areas. It's stuff like that. And the rural legend, the folklore is going to be flared up the further out you go, right? Like there's quote unquote urban legends, which are things like, oh, there's alligators in the sewers and rat kings and stuff like that. But the further out you go, that's when you get your chupacabras and your old lady in the rack in the rickety stone house in the middle of the woods that you don't go by. Those are when you start pulling into those as well. So so things get far more superstitious and less um Visible, I guess, would be a good word. Yeah, I would say that you're less dealing with um, the movie Urban Legends, and you're more dealing with the movie The Witch. Which apparently I have to see. You've told me I've had to see that several times now. Yeah, that's gonna it's gonna bother you intensely. You're gonna love it. My trope that I like to subvert, and I mentioned this very briefly before, is I dislike how people play rural. NPCs as being, you know, like a a few marbles short. I hate playing stupid rural characters. I like playing people who have chosen to live this simple life because of either trauma in their past or they've just, this is going to be a weird notion to a Western society, but they made enough money that they're like, hey, I'm just going to go retire and live on a farm now. 
So they're extremely wealthy. They used to be great businessmen or adventurers or something like that. Now they just run a farm because they can. They don't got to worry about their bills. They got to level 20. They can retire. Yeah, now. right? Um, You know, not everybody in the world is Jeff Bezos who goes, hey, man, I got more money than I could spend. Why not more? They can actually get their limit and be like, I'm, I'm happy. I could set up for the rest of my life, set up a good life for my kids, and I'm good, right? So um, I like playing smart well-read rural people like the, the the people don't have to be you know they're one toothed strumming on a banjo and blowing into an empty uh alcohol jar right they don't have to be that i mean sometimes they can but they don't have to be that okay so my next one is i i think that everyone out there on the farm and this is something that i'm not going to subvert this. this is what i'm going to lean into again they have the ability to defend themselves and I don't just mean, you know, I have my daddy's sword, which was handed down from his daddy down to his daddy. When they come across a Wanda magic missile, they pull that aside because they're going to need it. They are going to rely on things like cantrips and and basic um, like utility spells that they may have access to. But they're going to come up with creative and unique ways of utilizing these if they ever need to defend themselves. And they will have experience doing that. When it comes to things like uh, defending their crops or their livestock against wild animals. So the idea that maybe they have created a golem instead of a scarecrow to chase off any sort of incoming creature. And that creature just happens to be you. Or um, it was meant to be crows, but, you know, you're a kenku close enough, right? <laughs> like there are going to be some things that they can do to pick up arms. And I'm not talking about building a posse. Or getting together, you know, the good old boys, and that—that's not what I—that's not what I mean. I mean that they have the ability to have their day-to-day -day life. It's simple, like you said. It's honest. It's straightforward. But if they need to, they're tough. And I would say that most people living out in the farmlands are gonna be tough. They're gonna be smart. They're gonna be crafty. They're gonna be tough. Um, for me, my other one here is. They're going to be hospitable. I can't say this enough, man. Like one of my big loves about the rural thing is just the hospitality. When I was at my grandparents' farm in Western, uh, sorry, in Eastern Alberta, my grandpa made me load onto his truck um, and him and I drove for like 10 minutes down the road to our neighbor. And uh, he just walked up, opened the front door, yelled inside that he was there and that he was grabbing some sugar. He got back in his truck and we left. We never saw anybody. We took some stuff and that was just normal. That's just way of life. And it's the hospitality of the rural environment that I love. I love the fact that uh, you could have like that old grandma knitting on the porch, looking out waves wholeheartedly to your family, uh, to your party as you're arriving and like make sure that she's yelling inside to Harold to put some tea on because we got visitors, right? Like this, this is what a rural environment is. So I play into it heavily, uh, heavily. There has to be a hospitable code. Not every rural person is going to look at your party like you are the devil and you're there just a bunch of brigands and thieves to rob them. No, that's not, that's not what it is, man. Like they are there. They want to feed you. They want to make sure you're happy, you're happy, you're healthy, and you're on your way in the morning with a, with a good rest. Okay, so now let's look at the D&D &D setting. You keep talking about your own personal life, Dan, and I'm sure everybody loves hearing about little Dan out in the farmland. But let's, <laughs> let's bring it back to D&D &D now <laughs> for a second, okay? What are some fantastical aspects? And I mean, I say fantastical, I don't necessarily mean magical. But what are some fantastical aspects to rural living that you might find in this high fantasy setting that we're dealing with here? So again, we've each prepped a couple. Let's... uh. Let's grab our dice and roll for it. What do you say? Yep, let's do it. I got a three. I got an 11. I have not rolled single digits yet, so this is going well. I, I just keep thinking about the structures that are out there. I think about barns and silos, and I don't see why a gnome tinkerer or a dwarf who's got, you know, a basic concept of masonry wouldn't make a gigantic freaking silo that, that stretches up into the sky. It's 90 stories tall, and it's absolutely massive. 
and at the bottom they've got they've got a little feeding chute with with bags of holding right that they're just loading grain into and so there's there's a cart full of bags of holding but it's enough to fill like four regular silos but it looks like it's a wagon with with you know a couple hundred of these little bags in it we can really think outside the box when it comes to this kind of thing and so i was thinking about grain storage and then i thought about well what about animal storage we have Mordenkainen's magnificent mansion don't you think that that farmers would find a way to be able to have some sort of stone or wand or amulet, something that would let them cast Mordenkainen's magnificent barn <laughs> to keep the animals safe at night from predators? There are jackals, there's an owl bear, there are dire wolves. Get all the cattle into the into the barn, close that door, and, and we're, we're laughing. We have nothing to worry about from here on out, right? I think that, that the level of protection that you would see for crops and livestock would be fantastic. You don't need a scarecrow if you've got um, magic mouth permanently cast upon a stump in the middle of the, of the cornfield that just yells every 20 minutes. Or hell, put magic mouth on a scarecrow. I like that better. <laughs> just a scarecrow in the middle of a field. Go away! I love the idea of having a, uh, I, I know you said like the structures out there are going to be weird, but the, the, what they're farming, what, what, what is actually being produced in the farmland should be fantastical and weird as well. Like we all love, uh, the movie, The Last Jedi, um, and how it gave us the answer of where does the blue milk come from? I want you to know that I'm now uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact if you've got gnomes and half-orcs and, and If you elves say you need and, to go milk a gnome, we're going to have a problem here, Dan. No, no, I'm not going to say we're milking a gnome, but these cultures are going to have their own uh, delicacies uh, for each of their cultures that they're going to need to have farms for, right? So I, I see absolutely no problem with having like... What if there's a gnome, a gnome enclave or a half-orc tribe that... I don't know, man. Farms... Eight like farms black basilisks for some reason, or farms like these these moth owl bears. There's just a bunch of owl bears that have been uh, domesticated. You, you know how we have of like we harvest the eggs of chickens, right? And it's really yeah. weird if you stop and well, think about it. Do you think that someone may harvest the young of myconids before they gain sentience? Yeah, right. The the what is grown on a farm to me is so interesting and can add so much flavor to it. I'm horrified by that now. Like I've gone weird with it. Like they got veggie pygmies in cages, and every once in a while they go out and squeeze the berries and harvest the milk or the juice. Like that's that's fucking uh, gross. Well, I I I I would go like, why don't we have like spider farms? I mean, we have spider farms here in the real world that farm silk, and they. You get them from the silkworms and silk and and spiders and stuff like that. But when you have spiders the size of cats and you have spiders the size of horses and dogs, like these farms could get weird, man. Like, oh my god, they could just get weird. Well, you think about it. We have giant wasps, right? If you were to take that set and turn it into giant honeybees, you can literally walk through the hive, through the the yep. the beehive, the catacombs in there and actually like harvest buckets of honey yeah you've you've, you've kind of i you've i kind of opened this up you've opened my eyes up a little bit for some of the weirdness that can go on out there well the other thing that i, I you can think of multiple dimensions here and, and i go okay cattle they have beef that's fine um but they're dire cattle each each cow is like 15 feet tall and they are uh farmed by a family of gnomes who drive their little wagon up and just like reach up to milk them. See, one of the things that I did in one of my campaigns one time was I had a couple of uh, Medusas that moved into a town and they they turned everyone to stone in the town. And then they moved their animals in there. So As a Medusa will do. Yes. And then they moved their uh, their animals in, but it was other animals that also turned stuff to stone. So they had the cockatrice and the gorgon, which is that metal bull that can paralyze people, right? Yeah. Thematically, I kind of put it all together, but man, what would, what would Gorgon milk taste like or a cockatrice egg? Like I'm thinking now these monstrous races, these hobgoblins or bugbears or whatnot, if you're, you've, if they're a playable race, they've got to be able to come from a society. Do they prefer rotten tasting food? And why wouldn't they? 
mm-hmm. things that are too bitter or too sour or too too anything for a human palate. And we haven't even touched the fay. Ah, I love it. I love the the craziness you've gone with on this one. My other one is really simply, I, I looked at Eberron because I'm thinking all things Eberron these days. And I'm looking at the elementals that have been harnessed into the lightning rail in the airships. And I don't know why they wouldn't have harnessed elementals in other ways. There's a dam nearby or a well or a river that supplies water. They have an elemental bound at the dam or at the, they've got a small fishery with a water elemental that is letting through a certain amount of, they go over there and they torture it enough that it lets things through, uh, that lets the next round of water through. Or they've got um, air elementals that help uh, blow away clouds or collect clouds to be able to bring more crops, right? Like you can get, I mean, earth elementals that have been bound to till fields. Like you can go in a lot of crazy ways. Oh, that's so cool. Right? And so I really wanted to, to get into the idea of enslaving elementals. And they're semi-sentient. So there's like an ethical quality to this as well. But I think it's also really neat to be able to just harness the raw elemental power of it. And I'm also going to start looking for methods in this as well, because you're going to get things like the ice and the magma and the ash and the dust, other kinds of elemental just besides the main four. So I don't know. I was thinking in that direction and what it would mean to have these guys, to have these creatures as uh, as your at least servants, probably slaves or or prisoners. It, it's it's more than just the buildings and, and what they're farming and, and how they're farming it. But it is the wider scape of land. It is a lot of land that is being taken up here. And I like my fantastical settings to have farms in weird locations themselves. We mentioned like uh, you could walk through this hive uh, for the, you know, giant sized bees and you're, you like walk through the hive itself, reach into the comb and just pull out buckets of honey. Um, I don't see why you can't do something like that. Like that farm is on the edge of a mountain. And that's how like to visit that farm, you're going up this weird mountain cliff. We rarely mention the concept of floating islands, but having like a floating piece of land that they use to kind of watch over the farm and have this large island dangling from it where they just, they grow grapes off the vine, off this floating island. Weird landscapes for your farms is so open in a fantasy setting. All right, so now we've talked about some of the tropes. We've talked about some of the things that we can expect, some of the things that maybe we didn't expect and what we can do now with some fantastical ideas for farms. But we've got our party in our campaign now that's heading out to interview people and to find out what's going on. They've heard some sort of rumors about there being something strange happening in the capital city. And so they're going out to this farmland to kind of figure out what's happening out there. So let's grab our dice and roll initiative. And we'll go through six dynamic encounters that you and I, we've each come up with three as we do every episode. Both stuff that you would expect to find in a rural setting. Cool. Let's roll. Um, oh, I got a 19. I got a 16. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> let me sweep an episode. Damn it, Dan. Okay, fine. So for, for my first encounter here, I have a skill challenge uh, for my party that I really want them to get into the frame of mind that they are in a rural environment. And the party is going to come up to a broken down cart on the side of the road. Um, with this old man weathered and like his skin is leathered by years upon years of working outdoors. Uh, he is that quintessential picturesque farmer. Um, and, but he's just too old to fix this himself. And when he sees the party coming down the road, he waves them over and says, listen, I know how to fix this, but I can't go out and get it. So here's the list of items I need. I need you guys to go out there and get them. And he is basically telling the party, go out there, come up with interesting ways to get like a nail shaped stone and, and uh, a, a large chunk of wood or, or whatever it is. Um, these three items that the party then has to come out and like, okay, well, we're in the middle of nowhere. What skills can we use to acquire these things and find them? This guy will put the cart back together. This entire skill challenge is about going out, collecting these items and coming back. 
I like the idea of him being maybe trapped under the cart, right? And so, oh yeah, that would work too. So even if they like lift the cart off of your your warrior type wanders over and lifts the cart off of him, or your mage levitates it somehow and he gets out, he's still too injured to do it himself. And yep. so he gives the list, and maybe maybe a part of it is actually putting the cart back together. What kind of reward would you give? Come over to my farm when we're done, because this you know I'm heading back. But come back over to my place. Um, me and the wife will feed you dinner and you can have a nice place to rest. They're not getting like a, here's a pile, like here's a sack of coins. They're not getting that from this. They're, they're getting a chance for role play at the farmer's, at the farmer's house. So you're rewarding them with, with uh, positive NPC interaction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my first one is, uh, I'm going to lean a little bit heavier into the rumors. We've established now that we're out in the farmland, but they're out here looking for rumors. And so I want there to be some sort of farm hand that is a little bit skittish, is a little bit, um, kind of on edge and might actually know some things with a little bit of pressure. So I wanted to do a role play to, um, role play scenario here where the farmhand is about to tell some juicy rumors starts to actually give a little bit of information about well i've heard that so-and-so went missing and this person didn't show up for work remember in all reality here we the players don't know this but we know that the drow are coming up out of a sinkhole where the capital city used to exist and they're taking over this region and nobody's talking about it because rumors and superstition are bad for business so as he starts to get mm -hmm. into it, the owner of the farm, the person in charge comes over and gives a stern look. And now you, you have a little bit of a negative role play interaction where this guy is going to come over this farmer, whoever it is, he's going to send the farm hand away and then kind of tear a strip off of the party for, for interacting with, stop scaring the, the simple folks, stop, stop bothering my employees, whatever it is, he's going to really go at them and say, you know what, maybe, maybe this was a bad idea. Why don't you go ahead and move on, right? Have your party just by looking for rumors run into resistance because I wanted to lay on the, on the trope of outsiders are looked at with a little bit of suspicion. You're welcome on our land at first, but don't go poking your nose around where it doesn't belong. For my next encounter, I got inspired by uh, one of my favorite movies, Hot Fuzz, where uh, there is a old farmer who is completely unable to be understood. And there's like three levels of translator they have to go through in order to get the full story. And I wanted to put this in a fantasy environment. Um, so what I have is I have the party. They've, they've, they've uh, slipped down. We're in a desert. They're walking along this high route, high dune road that collapses out from under them. And they end up in a moisture farm. I don't see why this cannot be a thing. So they're going to have this intricate moisture farm, but they've got to navigate through these hoses and whatnot to get out of here. Um, it's a bit of a maze. And in fact, I would even draw this up as a maze for your party to get out. So as you could tell, this is an exploration encounter. But at some point, the farmer's going to notice that they are trying to get out and, and he's seen what's happened because the farmers will always see that this has happened. And he is trying to guide them out from a part a little bit higher up, but he's speaking in a dialect that the party can't understand. So now you have this interesting role-playing encounter while you're trying to get out of this maze, this maze of pipes and blasts of steam and, and like little natural traps I would throw in this uh, exploration encounter. Um, and just to make everyone happy, I would make this guy a gnome. Because if he's a moisture farmer, it makes sense that he's a tinkerer, so it makes sense he's a gnome. Also, I love the idea that, oh, I speak gnomish, right? But do you speak this dialect? And I would harness Brad Pitt from the movie Snatch. Yep. I mean, he's technically speaking English, but goddamn. <laughs> I, I have been to Eastern Canada. I know what someone from Newfoundland sounds like, and that's that. That's not the Queen's English. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, where are you? Where, where are you too, boy? <laughs> So I really like this. I like it. it can add a bit of comedy to this and uh, and alleviate things because we're going to get kind of heavy over the next few sessions. So I like I like this a lot, actually. My next one is going to be a combat to exploration. Very simply, as you guys are walking through, I keep saying you guys, I say it in every episode, as you guys are walking through because I'm a forever dungeon master. <laughs> And I never think about the fact that I'm talking to other dungeon masters. It's always talking to a party. But 
Anyway, as the party is walking through farmland, they end up seeing a uh, a barn that's open. The, the farm is empty. There are things that have been abandoned, and this is a good place to go exploring. And just as they step on the land itself, they open up that gate. They get into the front yard. The barn door crashes open, and some beast of burden is spooked. And they mm-hmm. attack the party. And I'm thinking, like, a dire horse. Like, this thing is, like, a dire mule. The shit kicks right like it's coming it's a problem and you don't need to kill it you just have to subdue it or get it out of this enclosed space because it's not happy with you guys very specifically you don't kill it because this could be part of the farmer's livelihood and i mean it's spooked it's going to do some damage but they could always rebuild a barn they can't rebuild whatever a dire horse is exactly so if it was a dire donkey, do you think you could have an ogre talking to it? Never mind. Anyways. Dire donkey is a really big ass. <sighs> but um Anyway, the reason that this is a dynamic encounter is because while you are in the middle of fighting this, there is a scream from inside the house. And when you go to investigate, this is the exploration. You have to go in there. Of course, they're going to go in weapons drawn. Where did they hear hear the scream from? They're going to find blood. They're going to find signs of a struggle. They're going to find strange arrows with elven-like runes on the haft. But they've never seen these runes before because drow are rare in our world. People have told stories and superstitions and folklore about them, but no one's ever really dealt with the Underdark. But there's no bodies. And the more you look, the more you understand that this place has been attacked. And recently, the blood is warm. It's not just fresh, it's warm. Hmm. So where is everyone? And this is going to really raise that level of panic. And it's also going to add to the idea of isolation because the next couple of farms that they're going to stumble upon are going to be the same thing. So you're going to start off in this combat trying to subdue this creature and it's going to get interrupted by a scream. And of course, the priest and the outdoorsman are going to go into the house and go to help and go looking. The warrior is going to draw his sword. But what are they going to find? Lots of clues, lots of evidence, but not a whole lot of anything. And remember, we've never said the word drow before. And even still, I would probably be hesitating to say the word. Oh, I straight up wouldn't. I would say strange elven markings you've never seen before. For my final encounter, I have, uh, I want to embrace the idea of the superstition and almost the xenophobia some of this rural um, environment will bring and have the farmers attack the party. Their uh, hackles are up. They are um, on high alert because there's been a wave of um, attacks throughout the realm in the past several nights since the uh, city has gone dark to the south. So... They uh, attack the party, and when they start to lose, they're going to let free, like, a stampede of goats on the party in order to, like, get them to chase them away from their farms. What kind of encounter is this? This is a combat-to-combat encounter. Okay. Yeah, fight some farmers, and then you're fighting some goats that they release at the same time. I'm going to make these things a little bit beefier because, hey, it's fantasy. And, um, I mean, your party might be able to talk them down, but... They are on heightened xenophobic levels, and and it's because the Jamesons down the street got attacked, and uh, their farms burned down, their crops are gone, the land was salted. We're screwed, and you people are new. Like there 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 is a certain amount of we're gonna protect what's ours, even if that means killing you, but we would rather not like chase them away. So. Um, I would have these farmers definitely drop hints about what's been going on around in the middle of the fight. And if their hit points get low, they're running. Like, they're, th- this is not a fight to the death with the farmers. It's going to be a sizable challenge when you're taking on 15 to 20, you know, low-level farmers. And then there goes. So I'm going to end the entire encounter here with some downtime i want to end on a positive note because like i said earlier we're gonna end up in some shit in a minute so what i want to do is i want to introduce higher stakes for the next session and those higher stakes are going to be not putting the party necessarily in danger but putting familiar npcs in danger so i want some downtime and i want the party to spend the night with a friendly family and this is exactly what you were saying before about the hospitable nature of the farmland and the rural communities. We've run into this real big negative thing. And, and even in the middle of this fight, let's say the farmers all escape and they were just looking to drive you off. It was non-lethal. They were just trying to scare you away. And there's going to be some other farmer from down the road that comes up and says, oh, yeah, look, those uh, those Daniel brothers are no good. 
And, you know, they're easily scared. Come on over here. And he's going to bring you back to his place. They're going to offer you warm beds, a warm meal. And there's going to be about a dozen NPCs that live on this farm. Most of them are family. Some of them are farmhands. I will have really fleshed out their relationships with each other. There will be no farmer's daughter. So all of the minstrels out there can calm the fuck down. But the interesting thing about them is there's, of all of the people here, very few of them have ever met an adventurer. And none of them have met a, let's say, Dragonborn, Tiefling, whatever unique races in the party before. So there's a lot of interest. Cool. And there's a lot of telling stories. And you're going to get a lot of flavor. You're going to end this session with a great big storytelling. And you're going to start to get these rumors. And there's going to be three or four red herrings in and amongst them. You're going to start to understand now that Anybody that's head towards the city has never been heard from again. And we're still waiting for, you know, the eldest son to come back with, with the... He's been gone three weeks and he should only have taken a week, right? He should come back with gold and, and supplies and he's not back yet. We're very worried. And these guys are not necessarily quest givers. They're just going to be friends and allies. I would definitely use this opportunity as well to let your party kind of recount their own tales in their own words. By this point, like our party, we're level four, man. We've, we've, we've got some miles to this road behind us. So there's going to be some really fun ways. Like if you've got that dragonborn paladin, have like one precocious little farmer child be like, no, 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 no. Don't just skim over how you guys took care of the water wizards in the desert. I want to hear that story. And maybe, maybe your priest character is going to sit there and do his nightly prayers and whatnot. And someone else, the most religious person in the family, comes over and says, What god is that? Tell me all about this. They're not there to have an argument about our god is better than yours. They want to know. You're new and interesting and you're fun and we like you. Yeah. And that is the dynamic that I want here because we're going to kick shit off next session where <laughs> things are going to get out of hand quickly. Right? And these people are going to be put yeah. in danger. So let's take the time now to have a nice, long role-playing encounter in the downtime where you can do things like I'm going to go sharpen my blade and okay, you know what? They have a whetstone out in the barn. This person's going to go with you. And maybe it's a child that's looking over your shoulder the entire time or the housewife, the, the farmer's wife that is um, actually the person that's out in the field and is the real farmer and it's the husband that stays in. Like like you flip some of these tropes a little bit and the husband's the one that, that's yep. cooking you guys a great big dinner and here's some stuff for the road in the morning and you know and everybody's working together and it's fun it's nice it's unique there's maybe a young couple in their early 20s or whatever i mean if it's dwarves they're in the early 110s right <laughs> like <laughs> whatever it is that are you know very much in love and and the young the young daughter that that married this guy now they live with with the family she's not out there to flirt with your players she's just out there to say Wow, you see that? And she like turns to her husband and say, you could be an adventurer. You've got what it takes, right? And really, really give a sense of warmth and friendliness. And there's no there's no indication whatsoever in this session that we're dropping the other shoe. Yeah. This is going to be simple, pleasant, nice, and you're going to end going to bed, right? That's the end of the session. They're going to go to bed because the downtime is done. And that's, that's where I want to end it. There's nothing nefarious going on here. We end so many sessions on a, and right around the corner is, and while we as dungeon masters know that they're going to wake up in the middle of the night without getting their long rest in and holy shit, things are coming around the corner. The party doesn't need to know that. Let them feel good. Let them talk about this crazy, unique uh, session that they've played with out in the farmland. They weren't expecting to do this. And it's, and it's been a lot of fun. And they met a lot of fun NPCs. I've, I mean, we've we've talked about how long we've both been doing this DMing game, um, and I find it very natural to end on the cliffhanger at this point. Like ending on something that is not a cliffhanger feels bizarre, not not unwelcome, but bizarre to me. So I love the fact that occasionally you get this one session where you can be like, "All right, guys," and you go to sleep, pack up your dice, we're done, right? Like, you're well done. Yet you found rest, right? It's that it's that spot in um the like Bloodborne games where you come across the fire, uh, the campfire in the middle of nowhere, and you just relax, and it's so cathartic for your players and for you as the DM. Ending on this is going to alert maybe some of your more experienced players that some something's going to go down next session. But for the most part, it's going to be really nice and cathartic to get this done. So, do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap this episode up, Dan? 
Uh, no, man. Like, uh, other than spend time in the rural environment, right? Not just in your games, but in the real life. <laughs> Go out to a farm and just visit. It, it's it's cathartic. It's relaxing. It's there's a peace to the simple life that uh, I think everyone needs to needs to uh, experience at least once or twice, whether it be at the gaming table or outdoors where where that glowing orb that wants to kill us is i i I love the rural setting and i openly encourage its overuse in any campaign um out there the last thing that i would say as well is that if you've got a priest or a mage or anyone that's even remotely healy at all having them come in with lesser restoration or the ability to remove a curse or even create food and water these things that they can do um detect poison I would have people out there that need these skills and you come in as a doctor because there are no doctors out there. Think about what amenities don't exist and what your players can bring to the table. Oh, what's yeah, really yeah. going to endear them to the people around them and what's going to frighten the people out in the farmland as well. So so that's that's kind of my final thought. But now that we've explored the local farmland, I guess it's time for us to accumulate the clues that we've uncovered and see what this puzzle is starting to look like. So this is going to give us a chance to plan some mysteries and set some traps for some potential enemies. And tune in next week when we begin to reveal the next big plot point in our campaign about the missing gods. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. And contact us at info at It's a Mimic.com because we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. And gee whiz, I'm Adam. Oh, God. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. really branch out in your own mind when you're putting together your rural setting is that you've got all sorts of different themes out here and in a D setting that means that you've got different monsters as well it makes a whole lot more sense yeah. to have scarecrows and i like the idea of a lot of gricks and purple worms and things that can crawl out from the dirt because things are going to burrow underground you're dealing with bugs a lot of swarms out here you've seen too many kevin bacon movies i will tell you now that there's no such thing <laughs> Okay, bye. Bang, dang, 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 dang. <laughs> <laughs>